Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. You can find it on page 1,858 of your pew Bibles. Titus 1, verses 10 through 16. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Thus ends our reading of God's sufficient word. May all who hear it be sound in the faith. Christianity today is in a unique place in history. The information age has changed much of how we do church. It used to be that the, the only way a person could learn about God was by reading their Bible or attending their local church. Sure, there may have been some that, that owned a book or two on such matters, but for the most part, people went to their Sunday service to find the truth. Today, we are inundated with Bible teachers, and they come at us from all different directions. You turn on your radio, and Moody is bringing you the word. You turn on your television, and the televangelist is, is right there waiting for you. And if you want a Christian book to read, you just go online, and Amazon will deliver it to you within days. And if you're impatient, you can get it sooner in an ebook format. Then there are podcasts and blogs and sermons online, and of course, there's social media. You can get on Facebook or Twitter, and there you can follow your favorite pastors by reading their one-liners. The information age is both a blessing and a curse. It is a blessing in the sense that the world's best Bible teachers are available at the touch of a button. It is a curse because the world's worst Bible teachers are available at the touch of a button. Discernment within the church has, has never been more crucial. Which brings us to our text for today. Now, now last week we saw that Paul exhorted Titus to appoint elders in all the towns in Crete. And he did this because these fledgling churches needed more structure, but also because false teaching was creeping in. The establishment of elders would help to stem the tide of these heretical doctrines that were being spread. 
You see, a major portion of their role in the church was to encourage others by sound doctrine and to refute those who oppose it. So by appointing elders, Titus would be easing his job. He could not go to every single house church on the island of Crete every week to correct the false teaching that needed to be corrected. So who were these false teachers and how could they be stopped? We see the answers to these questions beginning in verse 10. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. Our first clue as to who these people were comes in the first description. They were rebellious people. Paul was not just talking about people who were confused in what they believed. He would not have used such a harsh language if the people were just ignorant about Scripture. No, these, these people, they were consciously defying the teaching of the cross. This is why he calls them mere talkers and deceivers. They were people who could spew a convincing yarn, yet what they spoke was untrue. You see, they, they took after their true master, that, that serpent of old who continuously paints a persuasive yet false narrative about God. You have to understand that that false teaching only takes hold when it looks similar to the truth. It is like that counterfeit money that I was passing out to the children. It looks like the real thing, but it's worthless. However, this, this mess that Titus was dealing with, it was nothing new to Paul. This wasn't just an isolated case. For Paul said that there were many who were rebellious. It seemed that wherever Paul went to plant a church, false teachers would spring up shortly in the wake. Crete, even though it was on an island and somewhat isolated, it was no different. Deceitful men rose up from among the ranks, spreading their lies among God's elect. But this wasn't just any heresy that had taken root on Crete. Paul specifically mentions the circumcision group. Now, we've crossed these people before, back when we were going through the book of Philippians. So you, you should know something about them already. Yet it is in the book of Galatians that, that we can learn the most about this group, for it is there that, that Paul made his strongest arguments against, against them. Look at Galatians 1, verses 6 and 7. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. <clears throat> Here we see the heart of this false teaching. It was, a, it was an attack on the gospel itself. 
the circumcision party taught that a person was not saved by grace through, through faith. Instead, they, they claimed that a person must adhere to Jewish laws and customs as, as well to be saved. For men, this meant becoming circumcised. But it went beyond circumcision. For, the, for they declared that all Christians were bound to Jewish dietary laws, as well as celebrations of Jewish feasts and festivals, and so forth. In essence, they had placed human effort as a condition for salvation, thus nullifying the grace of God. Now remember, this, this letter had been written after the events in the book of Acts. The, the church council in Jerusalem had already dealt with this earliest of heresies. The Judaizers, or the, or the circumcision group, had been denounced. Yet their false teaching had not died out. For these rebellious men did not respect the authority of the apostles. So, in our passage, Paul and Titus we're now dealing with, the, with this issue once again on the island of Crete. In our world today, there are countless false teachers and numerous errant teachings that have infiltrated the church. And they come in all forms and sizes. And yet, nothing really new is under the sun. The, the heresies that we see today are the, the very same heresies that the early church had to deal with. For instance, the, the teachings of the circumcision party that we're reading about, they're being repopularized in what is known as the Hebrew Roots Movement. This group believes that true believers are required to keep the Mosaic Law, including the Jewish dietary laws, as well as the celebration of Jewish feasts and festivals, Sound familiar? We see Gnosticism today as well, which is basically a denial of the goodness of God's physical creation and is probably the second earliest heresy that hit the church. This can be found in many of the more liberal churches, for there is this push for the acceptance of Gnostic texts, such as the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Philip, they want those things to be added into the canon. The point is, false teaching is a bugger to snuff out. And we, as a church, need to be wary of it. It has been almost 2,000 years, and the church still has to deal with these things. Paul, he, he knew the dangers that these churches on Crete faced. And so in verse 11, he says this. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Here we see what both Titus and the elders he would appoint were to do. They were to shut the mouths of those who were teaching th such things. The question is, how do they go about doing this? First, their, their platform must be removed. 
These teachers were, were not to be permitted to speak within the churches. This is why Paul saw the urgent need for Titus to appoint these elders. Part of their duty was to protect the sheep from ravenous wolves. These false teachers were not to be given a voice in their gatherings. Second, such teachings were to be renounced publicly for the sake of the elect. Why? Because they were ruining whole households. Such an open rejection would both instruct and warn the church. Now there is disagreement as to what Paul meant by the word households here. He, he may have been talking about family households, in which case these false teachers were tearing apart families. Or he, he could have been referring to the house churches that, that met in the, together on the island, these households of faith that gathered in each of the towns. Given the context of this passage, the, the latter is more likely, but I wouldn't rule out the former, for heresy affects more than just the church. And if these false teachers were profiting from their deceptions, as Paul suggests, it is possible that some of the families have been scammed out of their money. Perhaps the apostle had both things in mind for this Judaizing heresy or the, the, the circumcision group. It, it had overarching ramifications. Here's what happens when a, a false teaching comes into the church. It, it starts with the introduction of unbiblical ideas. Then those who hold true to God's word challenge this teaching. The next thing you know, there is a dispute between those who have fallen prey and those who have discernment. And if nothing gets resolved, then you see a split in the church. And sadly, we've seen this play out too often. This is why false teaching is so dangerous. False teachers break up churches they break up families, and they lead people down a path of eternal destruction. To drive this point further, Paul quotes an ancient saying by Epimenides, a man considered by those on Crete to be a prophet. Look at verse 12. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Now one must understand a little bit about Cretan history to get Paul's reference here. Over time, Cretans had gained a reputation of being dishonest because of a certain claim by their religious leaders. If you recall my sermon from two weeks ago, I had shared how, according to Greek religious history, as an infant, Zeus had been hidden away from his father and raised on the island of Crete. Well, in an attempt to make a profit, the, the, the Cretan religious leaders all also made the claim that Zeus had been buried on the island as well. They did this to increase their own prominence and also for dishonest gain. 
Epimenides called out these false teachers by denouncing them as liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. So what we see in Paul's words here is he is playing off a, a well-known history of those people to communicate to those within the church of Crete how deceptive and greedy these Judaizers really were. He wants them to learn from their, their own history as to avoid the failures of their past. It's similar to how we in America would call someone who has been disloyal a, a Benedict Arnold. But Paul doesn't just want these men to be silenced. He wants their followers to be rebuked as well. Look what he says next. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no, atten <clears throat> no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. Paul's goal wasn't just to silence these false teachers, but to bring back those who were deceived. Now Paul is getting to the heart of the matter. Titus was to shepherd the flock. And part of shepherding was gathering in the lost sheep. Such a sharp rebuke was Paul's method of jarring them awake. It was a, a warning for them with the hope that they would turn from their folly and become sound in the faith. Now, what is Paul referring to when he says sound in the faith? The very same thing that he spoke of at the beginning of his letter. Look at Titus 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life. A sound faith is one that is secure in the hope of eternal life. It is a faith with, in which the focus is on Jesus, both in who he is and what he has done. It is a belief that, that does not look to a person's deeds or to fulfilling Jewish laws, but rests on the knowledge that Christ died for their sins and that he rose from the dead three days later, giving hope to the resurrection of the elect and eternal life with God. Of course, a prerequisite to sound faith is sound doctrine. They must come to an understanding of what is and is not God's word. You see, Paul goes on to tell Titus what the source of this heretical teaching was. These, these Jewish myths that he refers to were extra-biblical writings, books that were excluded from the Old Testament canon. Often such, such writings were used to bolster and legitimize one's false teaching. These men would, would claim that certain writings were God-breathed and then teach from those texts. It was an, an addition to Scripture, something which God forbids. We see this today as well. Both Islam and 
Mormonism hold to extra biblical writings. The Muslim will point to the Quran and the, and the Mormon will hold up the Book of Mormon. Both of these religions are examples of what reliance on false teachings looks like when taken to its fullest extent. There is no gospel, just billions of lost souls thinking that they have the truth. Paul's hope is that those who were deceived by these false teachers will search the true scriptures and leave behind those books of deception. And finally, in our passage, Paul describes what false teaching inevitably looks like. Look at verses 15 and 16. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. In irony of ironies, these men's attempts to become pure actually made them unholy. Paul begins by stating that all things are pure to those who have been made pure through Christ. Yet these purveyors of deceptions have, had placed a heavy yoke upon the shoulders of God's elect with their rules and their regulations. 1 Timothy 4 verses 1 through 5 describes some of their tactics. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come from hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. You see, God has given to the believer good gifts. He has blessed you with food to eat, with people to love, yet in an attempt to please God through their obedience, these men had become corrupted, disallowing things that are good and falling into practices that deny the true Lord. These false teachers never knew the real Jesus. For if they did, they would not have been led away into a works-based mentality. And so, even though they strove in their flesh, avoiding detestable food and other practices, following Jewish traditions, they themselves became detestable. And though they followed a, a strict regiment, they, the, their attempts to become obedient 
in those things, they became disobedient by adding to God's word. And while they claimed to know God, they were declared as unfit to do anything good. Dear friends, false teaching is alive and well in the church today. You may hear that doctrine doesn't matter, but it does. Heresy ruins lives, both this life and the life to come. It divides Christ's church. It divides families. It leads people down a path of eternal damnation. In our politically correct world, calling a pastor out for errant teaching is seen as divisive and mean-spirited, yet it is the biblical duty of the elders, and I would say it's the biblical duty of every Christian. Paul is very clear that these men must be silenced. But how can I, as a pastor, do that living in an information age that we are currently living in. It's easy enough to withhold teach a teaching platform within the church. But what happens when you leave church on Sunday? How can you be protected when you turn on that TV or download that podcast or order that popular book on Amazon? There is one more way that these teachers can be silenced. And we will talk more about that in my next sermon, but let me leave you with this. Titus 2, verse 1. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. My goal as a pastor is to to train you as the elect in sound doctrine. Doctrine. This will bring about the discernment that is needed. So when you when you go home and you hear that false teacher, whether they be on the radio or on the television or on the internet, you will have the sense to know what is and isn't in accord with God's word. And you will turn that preacher off. How can you know if you've been influenced by a false teacher? Ask yourself these questions. One, where does a teaching originate? Is it from scripture or from some other source? Two, is the teaching consistent with the whole of the Bible? In other words, does a a preacher only preach from certain texts while avoiding others? Three, is the teaching in line with the triune God? Does, Does the preacher diminish in any way what the Bible says about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Four, is the teaching in line with the gospel? Is your salvation based solely on God's work? Or do they, do they claim that there is something that you need to do in order to be saved? Well, there are 
more questions that could be asked, but I'm going to leave you with those four because I feel those are the most vital. Next week, Pastor John Gruss from Allegan Bible Church will be preaching here. So we'll pick back up in Titus the following week. For now, I will leave you with that. Uh, why don't we bow our heads and pray? Father, we thank you for your word. May it be the lifeblood of this congregation. We ask that you would protect us from false teachers and false teaching, that you would renew our minds by your holy scriptures so that we might be sound in the faith. Guide us into all truth by the power of your Holy Spirit and focus our eyes on your Son. We pray this in his name. Amen.